today, Lord, that we could truly say in 2015 that we trust in you, for you are the sovereign over the nations, and you are a hiding place in our weakness. And Lord, now as we come to open up your word, we pray, open up our eyes, and Lord, let our hearts and our souls embrace the instruction that you have for us, for we want to move into the maturity that you've called us to live in. We're believing for you to speak to us by your Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So good to be with you today, and don't you love that new song that Stephen and the band wrote? This so such a powerful truth for us. Hey, I have some good news as we've had plenty of announcements as we're starting a new year. I have been in communication with one of my heroes in 2001 when Stephanie and I were leading our first overseas trip as a married couple. We went to the jungles of Irianjaya where we had heard this epic story of a whole tribe coming to know Jesus after a dead child had been raised back to life. And so we got to meet, uh, some people call him Jungle Jim. Uh, we call him Uncle Jim, Jim Yost. And he has come before to All People's Church. There's few people that can ignite a church with passion for Jesus and his purposes in the nations of the earth like Jim Yost can. But we just got news this week that he is coming and joining us for World Mandate as well. So super excited about that. He'll also be at our Awaken service the week preceding World Mandate. So we are stoked to have Jim Yost. And once again, if you haven't signed up for World Mandate, People are signing up like crazy, but make sure you're coming. You don't want to miss the family reunion. You don't want to miss one of the highlights of the year. You will be touched and encouraged, I can guarantee it. So that's what I have to say about that. We're going to jump into a new series this morning called Let It Go. And let me just tell you the story of where we locked in on this title. About two months ago, Stephanie and I had the chance to be in Florida, and we were given some park hopper passes for a day by one of our old students from our old college ministry, and he circled on the brochure the attractions we had to go to, and one of them was the Frozen Theater. So we get into Hollywood theaters, and we see just a mob of people rushing to the doors of this theater. I quickly found myself kind of caught up in the hustle and bustle and racing third graders to beat them out to get in, getting into this attraction. We barely made it in. I'm so excited about it. We sit down, and to my disappointment, in this theater is just a massive screen, and one actor walks out does a little intro and says, welcome to the Frozen sing-along, steps off the stage, and just clips of Frozen are shown. I'm like, what a letdown. I was expecting the full theatrical deal. <clears throat> well, what happened next just shocked me. Because you see a part of the movie, the words come on the bottom of the spring, screen, one of those cheesy little snowflakes starts bouncing on the words, and in a moment, the congregation is enraptured in wholehearted singing. And I'm looking around because I'm a pastor, and I love it when congregations start singing with their whole heart. People are singing their hearts out to songs about cartoon snowmen. <laughs> so I, I'm watching this and, and, and thinking about it, but I wasn't prepared for what would happen next. When the signature song of the movie Frozen came on, which is? 
Okay, so everyone knows this. When it came on, it was like revival hit the building. I look to my right, I look to my left, people are like, let it go. I mean, and it's not just second graders. I mean, you see businessmen, let it go, let it go. Mothers, grandmas, grandpas just singing, let it go. At the top of their lungs, a deafening roar went out across the arena. I walk out going, what did we just experience? And I'm mulling over the power of this song because as a musician, or, or maybe you'd call me an amateur musician, I used to be the worship leader of this church back when we had 30 people. And I would lead worship and then I'd turn around, put my guitar down, and then have a microphone to speak. But as a, as a musician, I'm always captured when a song takes the hearts of a nation. And so I was looking at an article this week Talking about Let It Go, did you know the directors of Frozen actually apologized for the song Let It Go recently? They said, in the beginning days when they found out I was the director of Frozen, people would come up to me and say, that's my family's favorite movie. They said, after a year, they're like, could we please stop singing your stupid songs? They said, it's absolutely taken over their family lives, right? They they. They come to the breakfast table, the kids are going, let it go, let it go. They get in the car, let it go. The older kids are teaching the younger kids. The mom says, go clean your room. The kids go, let it go to their mom. (laughs) It's taken over our family. So I I was reading what this musicologist said, Anthony Shepard, the chair of the music department of Williams and College, because a couple of his students were the ones that wrote this song. And he said the reason that the song is so powerful and actually won the Academy Award Best Song of 2014 was because there's a secret to it. The the lyrics, the musical score, and the cinematography all go through a transition from negative to positive as Elsa, the, the, the main character, is changing. So he says it starts with five don'ts, four nevers, three no's, an incredibly negative connoisseur. Uh, the, the, the theme, the whole uh, chords that are playing are all minor chords. But then the song changes, the cinematography changes from lonely and dark to brighter and brighter and brighter until it culminates in this one phrase where she says, I'm free. And then you see her change from an ordinary young woman to this magical ice princess endowed with these mystical powers. And, and, and you know, now, now let me just share with you for a second. I, 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 I'm not going to build a whole sermon series around this song. Like, I'm kind of frustrated with how Elsa's pretty rebellious and somewhat selfish. And, um, you know, so, so don't, don't, don't be taken by that. But, but here, here I, I do want to say, I think in our hearts, and one of the reasons we like this song is because Elsa goes from being entrapped in her room where she feels all alone to finally feeling free in being who she's called to be with her specific powers and giftings. And so I thought about this song, what if we rewrote the song and shared the song from a heavenly perspective of what God wants to do in someone's life? So I want you to experience with me, let it go, from heaven's perspective. 
Let it go, let it go, throw my sins right out the dough. <laughs> let it go, let it go, the devil wins no mo. I love it. I, I love, that's what the song should have been, amen? Here's our signature verse for the series, Hebrews chapter 12, if you turn there with me, listen to this powerful text. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Do you know, Christian, that there is a race marked out for you to run? But what's going to stop you on that race is the sin that so easily entangles us. I find that there are many Christians who aren't even running a race. That we're so caught up in our bondages, in the strongholds of the enemy, in our sin, in our despair, in our depression, in the lies that the devil's speaking to us, that our whole Christian life is just relegated to can I make it through the day without sinning? Let me just be honest. That's how the beginning of my Christian life started. I, I know that oftentimes we, we look at a pastor and we think, you know, that person, they just haven't struggled that much in life. Can I just be real with you today? Can I? Thank you. I, I, now, now, when someone gets up to speak to you, you, you hope that they are walking in victory. And by God's grace, God has given me a lot of victory. But in my early days as a believer... I wasn't seeing some powerful destiny and just dreaming about what God was going to do and being used by him mightily. I was just trying to make it a day without falling into sin. For me, the struggle I had was with sexual sin. I would be bombarded with images that I had beheld in my earlier days. I wish I had never seen them, but they would be hitting me left and right. I felt like my mind was plagued by the enemy. Sometimes it came forth in my speech and saying things that weren't honorable in, in the way I was talking about different situations. Then I would find myself getting into situations which were not above reproach, not fitting for a man of God. And finally, I would stumble into the very sinful acts that I knew I shouldn't be walking into. Now, the problem is, after that happens, is you're bombarded with all kinds of emotions, First, you feel guilt. Then the enemy heaps shame upon yourself. I would start to think, I am such a loser. 
I'd start to believe lies. I'll never be free. I'd want to draw away from my Christian family. If they knew what was really going on in my life, I would bring such depression and such despair, and I, I would mark poorly our family name. I wanted to, to draw away from my Christian community if they knew who I really was. There was such a downward spiral that I was led in by the sin that I walked into. I wondered, can I really be free? I'd find myself making all kinds of promises to God and then breaking them the next day. I, I found that the scripture in Romans 7 that Paul, the apostle that wrote much of the New Testament, wrote was so fitting for me. He says this, Romans 7, 15. And can, can I just say, while, while we're going through this series, would you take notes and would you write down the scriptures that we unpack? I, I have this dream in my heart this year that our church would be rooted in scripture more than we ever have before so that you wouldn't just come and hear a good sermon, but that you'd take these scriptures and say, how can I meditate on them during the week and study them for myself and embody them and chew on them. Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. No longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, or that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. That's a lot of do, Scooby-Doo, right? <laughs> do, 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 do. But here's the bottom line. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, I know what I don't want to do. I don't want to do that sin. But why do I keep walking into it? It's like the kid riding the bicycle and you're like, don't hit that tree, don't hit that tree. So the kid's just like, I don't want to hit that tree. But he's looking right at the tree. So he goes, pap, and hits the tree. Like it's just that one little tree, but he just stared at the tree and so he did it. Why? Because he was focused on the very thing he didn't want to do. And that's what I find many of us are doing in our spiritual lives. We keep doing the things that we don't want to do. I, I hated the sin that I was in. Perhaps your sin is not of a sexual nature like mine was. Perhaps it has to do with food. Perhaps you just feel like a slave to food and, and, and gluttony is your deal. Or, or maybe it's things. You're just, you're greedy. You're very materialistic and you just are always consumed by things. Maybe it's an attitude problem. Maybe it's anger. You, you, you lose your cool, and you fly off the handle at people. Or maybe you don't even fly off the handle, but inside you're boiling. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's fear. You, you're crippled by fear. You respond to fear in life. You're always reacting to your next fear, and maybe you don't even know that's sin. Do you know that it's sin to always respond in fear instead of being led by the Holy Spirit? I don't know what it is for you, but I do know today that God wants to set you free. Amen. He wants to bring freedom in the midst of your struggle. And the problem is so many of us don't know where ourselves end and our struggle begins. We think we are our struggle. We're like, well, that's just me. I'm the fearful one. Well, that's just me. I'm the hungry one. I'm always eating, you know. Well, that's just me. I'm the angry one. And then our society has these phrases, these labels that it puts on us 
to just think, well, you know, some people, they just never change. You know, we say things like, well, they're this, the black sheep in the family. It's just like a label to put on a person who's always walking in sin. Oh, you just can't teach an old dog new tricks. No, they're just in sin. That dog's in sin. <laughs> well, he was just born that way. How many times have you heard that? He was just born that way. I, I heard Billy Ray Cyrus was talking about Miley when the media was up in, in arms about her drug experimentation and her you know, sexual promiscuity. You know it's bad when the media is saying you're out of control. And so how did Billy Ray Cyrus respond? And I, I'm, not making a light, I'm not making light over this, and I'm not demonizing her. We, we want to pray for Miley Cyrus. We want to pray for Billy Ray Cyrus. But here's what he said. I just want to make a point. He said, well, that's just Miley being Miley. Like, well, that's just her. She's just a person that's going to go off the hook, off the handle in sin. No. That, that's someone sowing into what the Bible says is a component in our life. And, and let me just read that to you in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 16. Write that down, Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. There are these two components at war within us. One of them is the flesh, and one of them's the Spirit. Verse 17, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I was just thinking about that for a minute. So you're not to do whatever you want. You know, some of us in this day and age, we say, well, let's just be true to ourselves. I just want to do what my heart leads me to. No, that's sin. You follow your heart, you end up in a ditch. He said, lovingly. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit there are these two components at war within you. One is the flesh. One is the spirit. We must choose to live by the spirit so we can truly let it go. God's desire is for you to be free from slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. To no longer be burdened by a yoke of slavery. One of the most powerful stories, I think, in the Bible is the journey of the Hebrew people. They were enslaved by a tyrannical leader named Pharaoh. He forced them into labor in order to build his pyramids, his shrines, his monuments in Egypt. They had no choices, they had no freedom. 
But because they were God's people, God blessed them, and so they continued to multiply and multiply. And so out of fear, he enacted a very evil ordinance, and that was to kill every young male child. Now, here is what I see. It's, it's a powerful analogy of what's going on in our spiritual lives. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief, the devil, came only to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy. We have an enemy of our souls. His name is the devil. The very concerning thing going on in the body of Christ right now is many people don't believe there's a devil if you don't believe in the devil, he is working double time on you. He has you exactly where he wants you because when you don't believe in an enemy, you don't set up a guard against him. So believe in the devil and believe he wants to destroy you. Well, the children of Israel are living with a tyrannical leader who wants to oppress them and is wanting to destroy them. He's wanting to put them in slavery and he's destroying their future. It's exactly what the devil wants to do to us. And this is what Exodus 2 verse 23 says. During that long period the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. In this room today are people who are hurting people who feel enslaved, people who feel trapped, people who don't feel like they have a future. I want to tell you good news. When you cry out to God, he will hear you. And he is concerned about you. There are some in this room that you feel alone. Does anyone see the predicament I'm in? Does someone see the helpless state, which I can't get out of God sees? And he's waiting for you to cry out. And when his people cry out, God hears them, and he comes to act on their behalf. That is the truth of God's word. And so what God did, to summarize a very long story, he raises up a deliverer. His name was Moses. He was royal in the palace, but he disregarded that to be a savior to his people. God empowers him with crazy signs and wonders to the point of sending plagues, parting a Red Sea, and God uses him to lead the slaves into freedom, into a promised land. For you, God sent Jesus, your savior. He took the punishment on his body so that you could be free to walk into the promised land. Not just heaven someday, but freedom now, men and women of God. The, the, the problem is that many of us don't know that we can have freedom. We, we've never seen that freedom. We've never imagined that freedom. I, I want you to just for a second close your eyes. And I want you to just for a second, I don't want you to do this often, but I want you just for a second to think about the greatest struggle you have in your life, the greatest personal struggle, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's an attitude problem, maybe it's a bombardment of negative thoughts, whatever it is. Now, imagine this. Imagine your life totally free from it. What would you be like? What would you do? Now open your eyes. Many of us have a hard time envisioning a free life because we've never seen it. We look at our forefathers. We, we, we look at our brothers and sisters and friends around us. We look at our parents. We look at our grandparents and say, well, 
bondage, slavery. It's just part of who we are. You know, I've never seen anyone. My, my, my grandparents were, were, were slaves to it. My parents were slaves to it. And I look around at my brothers and sisters, and they're slaves to it. I, I just can't imagine. I, I just think fear is part of, of being a part of my family. I think addiction is just part of being my family. I think bankruptcy and, and financial destitution is just part of who we are. I, I hear people say these kind of things all the time. The second reason that we don't envision freedom is because we get our news from the wrong place. <clears throat> let, let me just ask you where you spend the majority of your time accumulating and processing news. Is it from the world's venues? Is it from CNN? Hey, someone get that. That might be in the news. We... we, we <laughs> We, uh, we get it from CNN, we get it from the internet, we get it from the newspaper. Or do you get the news from the Word of God? Do you get the news? What, what do you spend more time reading, more time ingesting? The news from the world or the news from the Word of God? There's this old Pentecostal song. I didn't grow up Pentecostal, but I sure like this song they sing. They'd say, whose report will you believe? We will repeat the report of the Lord. We will believe the report of the Lord. Oh, that's good. <laughs> because I want to tell you, too many of us believe the report of the world. Whose report will you believe? We will. You can't even sing it without stomping your foot. We will believe the report of the Lord. It's kind, of, it's kind of like this. Have you ever watched a football game that you DVR'd, like it's already recorded, and then someone spoils it and gives you the score? Like, you, you, you don't watch it on the edge of your seat. You don't bite your nails. You're like, uh, you know, your team goes down. You're like, well, we're just going to win in the end. You know, you, you, just, you don't go on the emotional roller coaster. Have you read this? Your team wins in the end. Like, you don't, because, because too many of us, we don't read this book, so we don't believe the report of the Lord. So, so anyway, we watch the news, and you're like, oh my gosh, that is, oh, that's awful. Like, the devil's going to win. And you start living, and a lot of the newscasters, they don't have the mind of Christ, so they're freaked out. So the news is enshrined, it's encouched in a spirit of fear. So they're sharing it, and they're freaking out. And so you hear it, you're like, oh, my gosh. Oh, you're like a little scared bunny. Have you seen scared bunny? They're like, mm. they, they're shrinking back. But if you get the report of the Lord, you're like, no, your news story, yeah, it's a bummer, but it's like this big because I've seen the end. I will believe the report of the Lord. Like, your news. I'm not going to be a scared bunny. Because I've seen the end. My team wins. Where do you get your news from? Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not saying don't listen to the news. I'm not saying, like, cloister yourself and just live in a cave with your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying when you take in the news, have a discerning heart. Have kingdom victory lenses. And so you're reading it going, yeah, this is that. 
But in the end, our team wins. I don't need to fear. Too many Christians live in fear. We live in, in, in this desperation because we don't believe the report of the Lord. About to start preaching. Someone just texted me. <laughs> so what happened is um, in, uh, in our nation, we had slavery. A- and slavery is one of the clearest pictures of what the devil wants to do to people. This horrific unjust, heinous crime committed against people that are made in the image of God. Four million Africans taken in, in bondage, and some people of God and a righteous president rise up and say, that's wrong. And so in 1865, the the North wins the Civil War, the 13th Amendment is ratified, and they say slavery's over. But here was the problem. Many slaves were never given the news. And many didn't know what to do because they had grown up in generations of slavery. So they never left their oppressive masters. They just stayed in the same place, living in the same homes, under the same tyranny. And that's what many of us are doing in the church. Because we don't believe the news that we can be free. But that's why we're talking about this today, because God has a promised land for you to walk into. And it's here in this word. Will you be a person of the word so you can believe the report of the Lord? Let me give you the report of the Lord in one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible. This is where we're going to finish today, Romans chapter 8. You're going to love this. Romans chapter 8. And, and this is what I want you to meditate on all week. Would you do that? Would you just meditate on these verses from Romans 8? Not just today, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until we come back and just see what it does in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say, no condemnation. You don't have to walk in condemnation. The, the Thayer's lexicon says condemnation is a damnatory sentence. And I can say that word in church because it's in a lexicon. (laughs) Many Christians feel like they have a damnatory sentence over them. You feel like you're cursed. You feel like, well, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to happen to me. I want to tell you that's not what the Bible says. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Why? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and the law of death. For what? The law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That is why Jesus came on the earth as a man so that he could be a sin offering. The sin that you cannot get rid of. 
He received the punishment that you deserved in his body on the cross so you could die to sin. So he didn't die on the cross just to take you to heaven, but to set you free on earth. Listen to this. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Who is he? He is the Father. The Father condemned sin. The scripture says in Isaiah, it was God's will to crush him. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, you are healed. Jesus was crushed so you wouldn't have to be. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. I want to tell you that freedom begins right here. Freedom begins right here. Tap the edges of your mind and say, freedom begins. Freedom begins. Freedom begins right here with a mindset ruled by the spirit, not the flesh. The mind governed. Listen to this. And this is why you don't want a mindset governed by the flesh. Because it says in verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. I don't know if you've ever smelled death, but it is stinky. Right? Like a little mouse dies in your house and, and, and it overwhelms you with its stank, right? I don't want death in my mind. I don't want my mind to be full of death. I don't want a dead rat smelling up this noggin. But the mind, governed by the spirit, is life. Peace. Don't you want peace in your mind? I find that many people, that's their greatest desire. If I could just have a mind of peace. I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on. If my mind was just at peace, well, God wants to give you that gift. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Listen to me very carefully because there's a deception going across the church in this nation that it doesn't matter what you do. People think, God, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. God just loves me. He just accepts me. Life's going to be fine. It doesn't matter what I do. Well, it is true that God will love you. You know, I, I will love my kids in the midst of rebellion. But that doesn't mean that they are pleasing me with all that God has done for you. I mean, he, he, he gave his son to set you free. Don't you want to live a pleasing life to God? I, I don't want to see how much I can get away with in life. I want to say how pleasing can I be to the one who's given me everything. And listen to me, it starts in here. It starts with a mind not controlled by the flesh, but a mind governed by the Spirit. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Listen, listen to me. Do you know 
Christian that you are different than your unbelieving friends. Now, if you're not a Christian in this room, I love you, and we love you, and we want you to have this gift of life, but you've got to understand, believer, that you are different than an unbeliever, and it's not just because you go to church on Sunday. It's because of who is living in you. The Bible clearly says unbelievers are spiritually dead. I've done it before, but I'll do it again. Unbeliever. <laughs> Believer. <laughs> right? There's a difference. Spiritually dead. Spiritually alive. That is the difference. When you gave your life to Jesus, he didn't just forgive you of your sins to take you to heaven. No, the Bible says that you're a new creation, that the Holy Spirit came in and made his home in your heart, that you are now spiritually alive. The day you said yes to Jesus, it was like, happy birthday! You, I, I don't care if you were 60 years old, you were like, ah, this little new, alive, spiritual baby. And unbelievers are spiritually dead. Therefore, they cannot be free from sin because they belong to the enemy. Put your phones down, all that you're taking pictures of me acting weird up here. <laughs> I see those pictures. <clears throat> I, I'm just kidding. Fire away. Um, so, uh, <laughs> let it go. Uh, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So when you say yes to Jesus, you say, I, I, I realize I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. You belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Here is what I'm trying to say. So many of us, we feel like my sin's too big for God. You know, so this, this is really what you're saying. You're like, you know, God, um, I know you spoke and created the whole world. And you actually put stars in space. And, and actually, one time, several million of your people were enslaved, and you split an ocean, you split the Red Sea, and they walked through it. Um, but, you know, my cussing problem, you finally met your match. <laughs> You're not going to be able to handle this one. Yeah, I know you created, like, planets. But my cussing, my, my tongue, you know, like, too big for you. Uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Thank you. It, it, we, 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 we think, you know, this addiction I have or, or, or the negative thoughts I have are bigger than what God can handle. Yeah, you know, I know you delivered a whole people group. You know, I know you dis, you've descended, your angels have descended in chariots of fire. But man, I don't think I can quit smoking. Too big for you. Don't worry, I don't smoke. But you, 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 you have these issues that you think are too big for the Lord. And the Bible says this. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Certainly he can give life to your mortal bodies. He can 
set you free. So let's just end with this. Is it harder for God to raise a dead person? Or to give you a breakthrough with the little issue you're dealing with this year? This is what we need to do. Whenever you're dealing with discouragement this year, this week, let's say, you're trying to get free and you're discouraged, you're downtrodden, I want you to just say this. Jesus has set me free. You're driving down the road and you start getting discouraged. You say, ah, Jesus has set me free. You want to walk into temptation and all of a sudden you say, ah, because Jesus has set me free. You start thinking about your image and you're feeling like a loser and you're feeling discouraged and you say, ah, because Jesus has set me free me free. You look at your bank account and you say, no, I'm always going to be in a desolate place financially. And then you say, oh, because Jesus has set me free. You look at your marriage and you go, it's never going to change. And then you remember, oh, because Jesus has set me free. Can you say it with me loud, church? Jesus has set me free. That is the truth. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free to no longer be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Why don't we stand up? You know, over this this next month, we're going to be talking about keys of freedom for you to walk in the destiny that God has created for you. I don't want you to miss one of them. Would you just close your eyes with me right now? And do this. We did it earlier in the sermon. Would you just look at that area of your life that you feel like ensnares you, it traps you, it blocks you from being who God's called you to be. And you just look it square in the face and say, Jesus has set me free. Some of you need to look at fear right now. You need to look at a fear of the future or a financial fear and you just need to say, no, no more. Jesus has set me free. This is the truth of God's word. Some of you need to look at your addictions today. Some things that you think you'll never get free from and listen to the word of God. And you need to say right to that addiction, Jesus has set me free. Some of you need to look at your your insecurities, your inadequacies, the faulty way that you see yourself and look at that right in the face and say no. Jesus has set me free. And while you're doing that, for some of you, today's the day you need to give your life to Jesus. You say, I don't know if Jesus is living in me. I I don't want to be one who's spiritually dead. I want to be spiritually alive. If you're not 100% sure that Jesus is living in you, I want to pray with you in this very moment. You can repeat this prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life, to be your Lord and Savior, and to give you a new life with him. You can just pray this right after me. If that's your heart, that's your desire to commit your life to Christ today, to say, Jesus, and say it right after me, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. 
I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'll live with you forever. And while everyone's just praying right now in the privacy of this moment, if that's you today, you're saying, yeah, Pastor, I'm praying that prayer to commit my life to Jesus. I want to pray a special prayer of blessing over you as you start this new journey. So would you just look up at me and wave at me real quick? You just say, yeah, I'm praying that. Include me in this prayer right now. Okay, hands all over this place. Just make sure to look at me. Thank you, thank you. Who else? Okay, I see. Just anyone else that I haven't seen yet. Let me make eye contact with you. Just different ones. Okay, I see you back there. Awesome. I see you right there. Okay, I see you right there. Awesome. All over this room. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Bringing so many people into the kingdom. Now, Lord, I pray for my friends that they would know that nothing can separate them from the love of God, neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons. Nothing can separate them from your great love.